Welcome to Volume 5 of The Scarecrow of Oz. Chapter 9 The Kingdom of Jinxland Trot rode with more comfort than she had expected, although the swing swayed so much that she had to hold on tightly with both hands. Captain Bill's bird followed the orc, and Trot came next, with Button Bride trailing behind her. It was quite an imposing procession, but unfortunately there was no one to see it, for the orc had headed straight for the great sandy desert. And in a few minutes after starting, they were flying high over the broad waste, where no living thing could exist. The little girl thought this would be a bad place for the birds to lose strength, or for the cloth ropes to give way. But although she could not help feeling a trifle nervous and fidgety, she had confidence in the huge, brilliantly plumaged bird that bore her, as well as in Captain Bill's knowledge of how to twist and fasten a rope so that it would hold. It was a remarkably big desert. There was nothing to relieve the monotony of view, and every minute seemed an hour, and every hour a day. Disagreeable fumes and gases rose from the sands, which would have been deadly to the travelers had they not been so high in the air. As it was, Trot was beginning to feel sick when a breath of fresher air filled her nostrils, and on looking ahead she saw a great cloud of pink-tinted mist. Even while she wondered what it could be, the orc plunged boldly into the mist, and the other birds followed. She could see nothing for a time, nor could the bird which carried her see where the orc had gone. But it kept flying as sturdily as ever, and in a few moments the mist was passed and the girl saw the most beautiful landscape spread out before her, extending as far as her eye could reach. She saw bits of forest, verdure-clothed hills, fields of waving grain, fountains, rivers and lakes, and throughout the scene were scattered groups of pretty houses and a few grand castles and palaces. Over all this delightful landscape, which from Trot's high perch seemed like a magnificent painted picture, was a rosy glow such as we sometimes see in the west at sunset. In this case, however, it was not in the west only, but everywhere. No wonder the orc had paused to circle slowly over this lovely country. The other birds followed his action, all eyeing the place with equal delight. Then, as with one accord, the four formed a group and slowly sailed downward. This brought them to that part of the newly discovered land which bordered on the desert's edge. But it was just as pretty here as anywhere else, so the orc and the birds alighted, and the three passengers at once got out of their swings. Oh, Captain Bill, isn't this fine and dandy? exclaimed Trot rapturously. How lucky we were to discover this beautiful country! The country seems rather high class, I'll admit, Trot, replied the old sailor man, looking around him. But we don't know as yet what its people are like. Well, no one could live in such a beautiful country without being happy and good. I'm sure of that, she said earnestly. Don't you think so, Button Bright? I'm not thinking just now, answered the little boy. It makes me tired to think, and I never seem to gain anything by it. When we see the people who live here, we'll know what they're like, and no amount of thinking will make them any different. Oh, that's true, said the orc. But now I want to make a proposal. While you're getting acquainted with this new country, which 
looks as if it contains everything to make one happy. I would like to fly along by myself and see if I can, like, find my home on the other side of the great desert. If I do, I'll stay there, of course. If I fail to find Orkland, I'll return to you in a week to see if I could do anything more to assist you. They were sorry to lose their queer companion, but could offer no objection to the plan. So the orc bade them goodbye and rose swiftly into the air. He flew over the country and was soon lost to view in the distance. The three birds which had carried our friends now begged permission to return by the way they had come, to their own homes, saying they were anxious to show their families how big they had become. So Cap'n Bill and Trot and Button Bright all thanked them gratefully for their assistance, and soon the birds began their long flight back toward the land of Mo. Being now left to themselves in this strange land, the three comrades selected a pretty pathway and began walking along it. They believed this path would lead them to a splendid castle which they spied in the distance, the turrets of which towered far above the tops of the trees which surrounded it. It did not seem very far away, so they sauntered on slowly, admiring the beautiful ferns and flowers that lined the pathway, and listening to the singing birds and the soft chirping of the grasshoppers. Presently the path wound over a little hill. In the valley that lay beyond the hill was a tiny cottage surrounded by flower beds and fruit trees. On the shady porch of the cottage they saw, as they approached, a pleasant-faced woman sitting amidst a group of children, to whom she was telling stories. The children quickly discovered the strangers and ran toward them with exclamations of astonishment, so that Trot and her friends became the center of a curious group, all chattering excitedly. Captain Bill's wooden leg seemed to arouse the wonder of the children, as they could not understand why he had not two meat legs. This attention seemed to please the old sailor, who patted the heads of the children kindly, and then, raising his hat to the woman, inquired, "'Can you tell us, madam, just what country this is?' She stared hard at all three of the strangers as she replied briefly, "'Jinxland!' "'Oh!' exclaimed Captain Bill with a puzzled look. "'And where is Jinxland, please?' "'It's in the Quadling country,' she said. "'What?' cried Trot in sudden excitement. "'Do you mean to say this is the Quadling country of the land of Oz?' "'To be sure I do.' the woman answered. Every bit of land that's surrounded by the great desert is the land of Oz, as you ought to know, as I do. But I'm sorry to say that Jinxland is separated from the rest of the Quadling country by that row of high mountains you see yonder, which have such steep sides that no one can cross them. So we live here by ourselves, and are ruled by our own king instead of by Ozma of Oz. I've been to the land of Oz before, said Button Bright, but I've never been here. "'Did you ever hear of Jinxland before?' asked Trot. "'No,' said Button Bright. "'It's on the map of Oz, though,' asserted the woman. "'And it's a fine country, I assure you, if only,' she added, and then paused to look around her with a frightened expression. "'If only—' Here she stopped again, as if not daring to go on with her speech. "'If only what, ma'am?' asked Cap'n Bill. The woman sent the children into the house— then she came closer to the strangers and whispered, If only we had a different king, we would be very happy and contented. What's the matter with your king? asked Trot curiously. But the woman seemed frightened to have said that much. She retreated to her porch, merely saying, 
The king punishes severely any treason on the part of his subjects. What's treason? asked Button Bright. In this case, replied Captain Bill, treason seems to consist of knocking the king. But I guess we know his disposition now as well as if the lady had said more. I wonder, said Trot, going up to the woman, if you could spare us something to eat. We haven't had anything but popcorn and lemonade for a long time. Oh, bless your heart. Of course I can spare you some food, the woman answered. And entering her cottage, she soon returned with a tray loaded with sandwiches, cakes, and cheese. One of the children drew a bucket of clear, cold water from a spring, and the three wanderers ate heartily and enjoyed the good things immensely. When Button Bright could eat no more, he filled the pockets of his jackets with cakes and cheese. Not even the children objected to this. Indeed, they all seemed pleased to see the strangers eat. So Captain Bill decided that no matter what the King of Jinxland was like, the people would prove friendly and hospitable. "'Whose castle is that yonder, ma'am?' he asked, waving his hand toward the towers that rose above the trees. "'Oh, it belongs to His Majesty King Cruel,' she said. "'Oh, indeed. And does he live there?' "'Oh, yeah. When he's not out hunting with his fierce war captains and courtiers he is,' she replied. "'Is he hunting now?' Trot inquired. "'Oh, I don't know, dear.' The less we know about the king's actions, the safer we are. Oh, yeah. It was evident the woman did not like to talk about King Cruel, and so, having finished their meal, they said goodbye and continued toward the pathway. Do you think we'd better keep away from the king's castle, Captain? asked Trot. Well, he said, King Cruel would find out sooner or later that we were in his country, so we may as well face the music now. Perhaps he isn't quite so bad as the woman thinks he is. Kings aren't always popular with their people, you know, even if they do the best they know how. Ozma's pretty popular, said Button Bright. Ozma's different from any other ruler from all I've heard, remarked Trot, musingly, as she walked beside the boy. And after all, we really are in the land of Oz, where Ozma rules every king and everybody else. I've never heard of anybody getting hurt in her dominions, have you, Button Bright? Not when she knows about it, he replied. But those birds landed us in just the wrong place, seems to me. They might have carried us right over that row of mountains to the Emerald City. True enough, said Captain Bill. But they didn't, and so we must make the best of Jinxland. Let's try not to be afraid. Oh, I'm not scared, said Button Bright, pausing to look at a pink rabbit that popped its head out of a hole in the field nearby. Nor am I, added Trot. Really, Captain? I'm so glad to be anywhere at all in the wonderful fairyland of Oz that I think I'm the luckiest girl in the whole world. Dorothy lives in the Emerald City, you know, and so does the Scarecrow and the Tid Woodsman and Tick-Tock and the Shaggy Man and all the rest of them that we've heard so much about, not to mention Ozma, who must be the sweetest and loveliest girl in the whole world. Take your time, Trot, advised Button Bright. You don't have to say it all in one breath, you know. And you haven't mentioned half the curious people in the Emerald City. That there Emerald City, said Captain Bill impressively, happens to be on the other side of those mountains that we're told no one is able to cross. I don't want to discourage you, Trot, but we're almost as much separated from your Ozma and Dorothy as when we lived in California. There was so much truth in this statement that they all walked on in silence for some time. 
Finally, they reached the grove of stately trees that bordered the grounds of the king's castle. They had gone halfway through it when the sound of sobbing, as if of someone in bitter distress, reached their ears and caused them to halt abruptly. Chapter 10. Pon, the Gardener's Boy It was Button Bright who first discovered, lying on his face beneath a broad-spreading tree near the pathway, a young man whose body shook with the force of sobs. He was dressed in a long brown smock and had sandals on his feet, betokening one in humble life. His head was bare and showed a shock of brown curly hair. Button Bright looked down on the young man and said, Who cares, anyhow? I do, cried the young man, interrupting his sobs to roll over, face upward, that he might see who had spoken. I care, for my heart is broken. Can't you get another one? asked the little boy. I don't want another one, wailed the young man. By this time, Trot and Captain Bill arrived at the spot, and the girl leaned over and said in a sympathetic voice, Tell us your troubles. Perhaps we may be able to help you. The youth sat up then and bowed politely. Afterwards, he got upon his feet, but still kept wringing his hands as he tried to choke down his sobs. Trot thought he was very brave to control such awful agony so well. My name is Pon, he began. I'm the gardener's boy. Then the gardener of the king is your father, I suppose, said Trot. Not my father, but my master, was the reply. I do the work, and the gardener gives the orders. It was not my fault in the least. The princess Gloria fell in love with me. Did she really? asked the little girl. I don't see why, remarked Button Bright, staring at the youth. And who might Princess Gloria be? inquired Captain Bill. She's the niece of King Cruel, who's her guardian. The princess lives in the castle, and is the loveliest, sweetest maiden in all of a jinx land. She's fond of flowers and used to walk in the gardens with her attendants. At such a times, if I was working on my tasks, I used to cast down my eyes as Gloria passed by. But one day I glanced up and found her gazing down at me with a tender look in her eyes. The next day she dismissed her attendants and coming to my side began to talk to me. She said I had touched her heart as no other young man had ever done. I kissed her hand. Just then the king came around the bend in the walk. He struck me with his fist and kicked me with his foot. Then he seized the arm of the princess and rudely dragged her back into the castle. Wasn't he awful? gasped Trot indignantly. He's a very abrupt king, said Pon. So it was the least I could expect. Up to that time I had not thought of loving Princess Gloria, but realized it would be impolite not to return her love. We met at evening now and then, and she told me the king wanted her to marry a rich courtier named Googly Goo, who's old enough to be Gloria's father. She has refused Googly Goo thirty-nine times, but he still persists, and has brought many rich presents to bribe the king. On that account, King Cruel has commanded his niece to marry the old man, but the princess has assured me time and again that she will only wed me. 
This morning we happened to meet in the grape arbor, and as I was respectfully saluting the cheek of the princess, two of the king's guards seized me and beat me terribly before the very eyes of Gloria, whom the king himself held back so she could not interfere. Why, this king must be a monster, cried Trot. Oh, he's worse than that, said Pon mournfully. But see here, interrupted Captain Bill, who had listened carefully to Pon. The king may not be so much to blame after all. Kings are proud folks, because they're so high and mighty, and it isn't reasonable for a royal princess to marry a common gardener's boy. It isn't right, declared Button Bright. A princess should marry a prince. I'm not a common gardener's boy, protested Pon. If I had my rights, I would be king instead of cruel. As it is, I'm a prince, and as royal as any man in Jinxland. How did that come about, then? asked Captain Bill. My father used to be the king, and cruel was his prime minister. But one day, while they were out hunting, King Fierce... That was my father's name, had a quarrel with Cruel, and tapped him gently on the nose with the knuckles of his closed hand. This provoked the wicked Cruel, that he tripped my father backwards, so he fell into a deep pond. At once Cruel threw in a mass of heavy stones, which so weighed down my poor father, that his body could not rise again to the surface. It's impossible to kill anybody in this land, as perhaps you know, but when my father was pressed down into the mud at the bottom of the deep pool, and the stones held him there so he could never escape, he was of no more use to himself for the world than if he had died. Knowing this, Cruel proclaimed himself king, taking possession of the royal castle and driving all my father's people out. I was a small boy then, but when I grew up I became a gardener, I had served King Cruel without his knowing that I am the son of King Fierce, who he so cruelly made away with. My, but what a terribly exciting story, said Trot, drawing a long breath. But tell us, Pon, who was Gloria's father? Oh, he was the king before my father, replied Pon. Father was the prime minister for King Kind, who was Gloria's father. She was only a baby when King Kind fell into the great gulf that lies just this side of the mountains, the same mountains that separate Jinxland from the rest of Oz. It's said the great gulf has no bottom, but however that may be, King Kind has never been seen again, and my father became king in his place. Seems to me, said Trot, that if Gloria had her rights, she should be queen of Jinxland. Well, her father was a king admitted Pon, and so was my father. So we are of equal rank, although she's a great lady and I'm a humble gardener's boy. I can't see why we should not marry if we want to, except that King Cruel won't let us. It's a sort of mixed-up mess taken all together, remarked Captain Bill. But we're on our way to visit King Cruel, and if we get a chance, young man, we'll put in a good word for you. Please do, begged Pon. Was it the flogging you got that broke your heart? inquired Button Bright. Well, it helped to break it, of course. I'd get it fixed up if I were you, advised the boy, tossing a pebble at a chipmunk in a tree. You ought to give Gloria just as good a heart as she gives you. That's common sense, agreed Captain Bill.
So they left the gardener's boy standing beside the path and resumed their journey toward the castle. Chapter 11 The Wicked King and Googly-Goo When our friends approached the great doorway of the castle, they found it guarded by several soldiers dressed in splendid uniforms. They were armed with swords and lances. Captain Bill walked straight up to them and asked, Does the king happen to be at home? His magnificent and glorious majesty, King Krul, is at present inhabiting his royal castle, was the stiff reply. Then I guess we'll go in and say how do you do, continued Captain Bill, attempting to enter the doorway. But a soldier barred his way with a lance. Who are you? What are your names? Where do you come from? demanded the soldier. You wouldn't know if we told you, returned the sailor. "'seeing as we are strangers in a strange land.' "'Oh, if you are strangers, you will be permitted to enter,' said the soldier, lowering his lance. "'His Majesty is very fond of strangers.' "'Do you have many strangers come here?' asked Trot. "'You are the first that ever came to our country,' said the man. "'But His Majesty has often said that if strangers ever arrived in Jinxland, he would see—' that they had a very exciting time. Captain Bill scratched his chin thoughtfully. He wasn't very favorably impressed by this last remark, but he decided that as there was no way of escape from Jinxland, it would be wise to confront the king boldly and try to win his favor. So they entered the castle, escorted by one of the soldiers. It was certainly a fine castle with many large rooms, all beautifully furnished. The passages were winding and handsomely decorated, and after following several of these, the soldier led them into an open court that occupied the very center of the huge building. It was surrounded on every side by high turreted walls and contained beds of flowers, fountains and walks of many colored marbles, which were matched together in quaint designs. In an open space near the center of the court, they saw a group of courtiers and their ladies who surrounded a lean man who wore upon his head a jeweled crown. His face was hard and sullen, and through the slits of his half-closed eyelids, the eyes glowed like coals of fire. He was dressed in brilliant satins and velvets and was seated in a golden throne chair. This personage was King Cruel, and as soon as Captain Bill saw him, the old sailor knew at once that he was not going to like the King of Jinxland. Hello there! Who's that? said His Majesty with a deep scowl. Stranger, sire! answered the soldier, bowing so low that his forehead touched the marble tiles. Strangers, eh? What an unexpected visit! Advance, strangers, and give an account of yourselves! The king's voice was as harsh as his features. Trot shuddered a little, but Captain Bill calmly replied. There isn't much for us to say, except as we've arrived to look at your country and see how we might like it. Judging from the way you speak, you don't know who we are, or you'd be jumping up to shake hands and offer us seats. Kings usually treat us pretty well in the other great big outside world where we come from, and in this little kingdom that don't amount to much anyway. Folks don't seem to have got much culture. The king listened with amazement to this bold speech, first with a frown, and then gazing at the two children and the old sailor with evident curiosity. 
The courtiers were dumb with fear, for no one had ever dared speak in such a manner to their self-willed, cruel king before. His majesty, however, was somewhat frightened, for cruel people are often cowards. And he feared these mysterious strangers might possess magic powers that would destroy him unless he treated them well. So he commanded his people to give the new arrivals seats, and they obeyed with trembling haste. After being seated, Captain Bill lighted his pipe and began puffing smoke from it, a sight so strange to them that it filled them all with wonder. Presently the king asked, How did you penetrate to this hidden country? Did you cross the desert or the mountains? Desert, answered Captain Bill, as if the task were too easy to be worth talking about. Indeed, no one has ever been able to do that before, said the king. Well, it's easy enough if you know how, asserted Captain Bill, so carelessly that it greatly impressed his hearers. The king shifted in his throne uneasily. He was more afraid of these strangers than before. Do you intend to stay long in Jigsland? was his next anxious question. Depends on how we like it here, said Captain Bill. Just now I might suggest to your majesty to order some rooms got ready for us in your dinky little castle here, at a royal banquet with some fried onions and pickled tripe, would set easy on our stomachs and make us a bit happier than we are now. Your wishes shall be attended to, said King Cruel, but his eyes flashed from between their slits in a wicked way that made Trot hope the food wouldn't be poisoned. At the king's command, several of his attendants hastened away to give the proper orders to the castle servants, and no sooner were they gone than a skinny old man entered the courtyard, and bowed before the king. This disagreeable person was dressed in rich velvets and many furbelows and laces. He was covered with golden chains, finely wrought rings, and jeweled ornaments. He walked with mincing steps and glared at all the courtiers as if he considered himself far superior to any or all of them. "'Well, well, your majesty, what news, what news?' he demanded in a shrill, cracked voice. The king gave him a surly look. No news, Lord Googly Goo, except the strangers have arrived, he said. Googly Goo cast a contemptuous glance at Cap'n Bill and a disdainful one at Trot and Button Bright. Then he said, Strangers do not interest me, your majesty, but the Princess Gloria is very interesting, very interesting indeed. What does she say, sire? Will she marry me? Ask you yourself, retorted the king. I have many times, and every time she's refused. Yeah, well, said the king harshly. Well, said Googly Goo in a jaunty tone, the bird that can sing and won't can be made to sing. Huh, sneered the king. That's easy with a bird, but a girl is harder to manage. Still, persisted Googly Goo, we must overcome difficulties. The chief trouble is that Gloria fancies she loves that miserable gardener's boy, Pawn. Suppose we throw Pawn into the great gulf, your majesty. It would do you no good, returned the king. She would still love him, you know. Too bad sighed Googly Goo. 
I have laid aside more than a bushel of precious gems, each worth a king's ransom, to present to your majesty on the day that I wed Gloria. The king's eyes sparkled, for he loved wealth above all things. But the next moment he frowned deeply again. It won't help us to kill Pan, he muttered. What we must do is kill Gloria's love for Pan. Oh, that's better, if you could find a way to do that, agreed Googly Goo. Everything would come right if you could kill Gloria's love for that gardener's boy. Really, sire, now that I come to think of it, there must be fully a bushel and a half of those jewels. Just then, a messenger entered the court to say that the banquet was prepared for the strangers. So Captain Bill, Trot, and Button Bright entered the castle and were taken to a room where a fine feast was spread upon the table. I don't like that Lord Googly Goo, remarked Trot as she was busily eating. Nor I, said Captain Bill. But from the talk we've heard, I guess the gardener's boy won't get the princess. Perhaps not, returned the girl. But I hope old Googly doesn't get her either. The king means to sell her for all those jewels, observed Button Bright, his mouth half full of cake and jam. Poor princess, sighed Trot. I'm sorry for her, although I've never seen her. But if she says no to Googly Goo and means it, what can they do? Don't let us worry about a strange princess, advised Captain Bill. I've a notion we're not too safe ourselves from this cruel king. The two children felt the same way, and all three were rather solemn during the remainder of the meal. When they had eaten, the servants escorted them to their rooms. Captain Bill's room was on the way to one end of the castle, very high up, and Trot's room was at the opposite end, rather low down. As for Button Bright, they placed him in the middle, so that they were all as far apart as they could possibly be from each other. They didn't like this arrangement very well, but all the rooms were handsomely furnished, and being guests of the king, they dared not complain. After the strangers had left the courtyard, the king and Googly Goo had a long talk together, and the king said, I can't force Gloria to marry you just now, because those strangers may interfere. I suspect that wooden-legged man possesses great magical powers or he would never have been able to carry himself and those children across the deadly desert. I don't like him. He looks dangerous, answered Googly Goo. But perhaps you're mistaken about his being a wizard. Why don't you test his power? How? asked the king. Send for the wicked witch. She will tell you in a moment whether that wooden-legged person is a common man or a magician. Hey, that's a good idea, cried the king. Why didn't I think of the wicked wish before? But that woman demands rich rewards for her services. Never mind, I will pay her, promised the wealthy Googly Goo. So a servant was dispatched to summon the wicked witch, who lived but a few leagues from King Cruel's castle. While they awaited her, the withered old courtier proposed that they pay a visit to Princess Gloria and see if she was not now in a more complacent mood. The two started away together and searched the castle over without finding Gloria. At last, Googly Goo suggested she might be in the rear garden, which was a large park filled with bushes and trees and surrounded by a high wall. How great was their anger when they turned a corner of the path to find in a quiet nook the beautiful princess and kneeling before her, 
Pon, the gardener's boy. With a roar of rage, the king dashed forward, but Pon had scaled the wall by means of a ladder which stood in its place, and when he saw the king coming, he ran up the ladder and made good his escape. But this left Gloria confronted by her angry guardian, the king, and by old Googly Goo, who was trembling with a fury he could not express in words. Seizing the princess by her arm, the king dragged her back to the castle. Pushing her into a room on the lower floor, he locked the door upon the unhappy girl. And at that moment, the arrival of the wicked witch was announced. Hearing this, the king smiled, as a tiger smiles, showing his teeth. And Googly Goo smiled, as a serpent smiles, for he had no teeth except a couple of fangs. And having frightened each other with these smiles, the two dreadful men went away to the royal council chamber to meet the Wicked Witch.